Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of The Rambler. I am your host, Mike McDonald, and I just want to say Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there, and to all you sisters and brothers from another mother. I hope you celebrate a happy Mother's Day with your mother, or mother-in-law, or future mother-in-law, or whoever uh, your mother may or may not be. Maybe it's your baby mama. Is it your baby mama? Look, uh, all jokes aside, I would like to say Happy Mother's Day to my mom, who is a great woman, and look, who I am today doesn't necessarily reflect how you did as a parent. I just <laughs> I just want to say that. Uh, so thank you, and Happy Mother's Day. Look, I celebrated Mother's Day today with my parents. They came over the house up here in Rockland County, and uh, we, we hung out. They brought up the old childhood dog, Nebby. I did not name Nebby. My sister named Nebby. It was originally supposed to be her dog. The dog's full name is Nebulizer because my sister is a weirdo and she used to watch a lot of late night infomercials and she saw one for a... <laughs> this is not a joke. She, she saw one for a Nebulizer. And so when she, we adopted the dog, she named him Nebulizer. And uh, we call him Nebby for short. And I think uh, Nebby has stuck... And uh, he's a good dog. He's old. He's about 15 now. And he gets along well. He got along surprisingly well with my dogs, but not with the cat, obviously. I think given a few days, they'd probably get along just fine. But he was uh, just happy to pup around with my dogs up here in Rockland County at the dog house. They, they got along good. Anyways, happy Mother's Day is what I'm trying to say to all you dogs and even... For dog mothers, dog dog for mothers, dog fathers, etc. Look, <laughs> listen, I got a great show for you today with Jen Welch. Okay, listen, if you guys don't know Jen Welch, then you should get to know Jen Welch because she had the guts to talk to me uh, when I went to go visit in Boston. Boston, great place. Love the city of Boston, despite the fact that the Red Sox and the Patriots are both from in and around that area. The Bruins, I don't really care about. But, you know, the Red Sox and the Yankees kind of have a thing. And the Pats and the Giants kind of have a thing. And I'm not a huge sports guy. Anybody who listens to the show knows I'm not a huge sports guy. But, look, I'm going to root for the Yankees and I'm going to root for the Giants. I'm sorry, Pats and Red Sox. It's just the way it is. But I feel you. I feel you as a city... I enjoy Boston as a city. I love the historical value of the city of Boston. But first, I just want to say happy Mother's Day, first of all. And and enjoy on this Mother's Day and this Mother's Day week, my interview with Jen Welch. All right? Enjoy. That all. <laughs> What's up, pup? <laughs> How old is she? She is um, almost two. Uh-huh. I rescued her just about a year ago. Oh, yeah? Um, she's from Arkansas, so she's a southern girl, which is oh. why her name is Ella Grace. She's got two names. Oh, my God. That is adorable. Mm-hmm. And we've come a long way in a year. It's been tough. Yeah? Yeah. Getting used to city living and just people in general... She, yeah. was a, she was a stray, so uh-huh. she loves to eat, like, crap on the ground and <laughs> just get food in whenever she can. <laughs> what kind of dog is she? 
She's a lab mix. Yeah. I did the, the DNA test, which is kind of funny because I... I did, did you do the wisdom DNA test? Yeah. With the dog? Yeah. And I've done the DNA test on myself, You did too, the 23 and me? Did yeah. you do it at the same time? <laughs> we were like, what are we going to be? <laughs> um, she is a quarter <clears throat> American Staffordshire Terrier. Oh. A quarter Basset Hound. Mm-hmm. And a half mixed mutt. Lab thing. Yeah, probably some pit <laughs> hound. Yeah, that's what knows. we think Sally is. Sally's like, we, we always say she's a lab mix and like play down the pit part because people yeah. get so upset about it, but it's like pits are some great dogs and they get a bad rap. It was such a bad rap and it's the way that they're raised and if they're raised in like an aggressive environment, they're obviously going to be aggressive dogs. Sure, yeah. But, yeah, I, I totally played on the pit, too. My mom's like, oh, she's not pit. My my grand dog isn't anything pit. I'm like, <laughs> okay. But my mom actually likens the two of us to each other a lot because we were both, like, little orphans. <laughs> and then, like, the way she eats is if, is if she's never getting another meal again. Yeah, yeah. And that's apparently how I ate when I first got to the States. Oh, yeah? yeah? I would My parents would find, like hidden loaves of bread and food in my crib because I didn't know. You were that young? You would, like, grab was, stuff? Oh, yeah. I was 18 months old, and I would just, like, hide shit in my bed. Can I swear? Yeah. Yeah, you can swear all you <laughs> okay, want. Okay, good. Because I do swear a lot. Just kidding, Mom. Um, but I used to hide tons of shit in my bed, and they would find it. And like, be like, like loaves of bread? And, yeah. And like a whole like, loaf or just, a like, a, loaf, a piece? A whole loaf. Like, I just, like sneak away with it and they had to train me that I was going to get fed again the next day. Wow. So it was just like harboring food. Wait, so how old were you when you were adopted? 18 months old. So you came to the States at 18 months old? Mm-hmm. Right into the Boston area? Yeah. So on December 24th, <clears throat> Christmas Eve, um, they called my parents and said that um, a baby had gotten sick and so they were putting me on the plane instead and I was arriving on um, the day after Christmas at JFK. So mm. they just had to come and get me. Okay. And so it's coming probably That almost- seems so last minute, just like... Oh, yeah. Four months early. So they had nothing. They didn't have... They like, weren't prepared at all. Nothing. Not even like a car seat. <clears throat> because my sister at the time was eight years old, so she they didn't have anything anymore. Uh-huh. Any baby right, stuff. Right, yeah. Why would they? So, yeah, they picked me up at JFK, like... How they brought babies and volunteers would fly right. over mm-hmm. with them. Um, so yeah, eighteen months old, just fly into the states. Do they like have to rush out on Christmas and try to get like a crib and a baby car seat and a high chair and All blankets and everything? Yeah, we lived in a neighborhood right outside of Boston um, with lots of kids. Like your oh, like, yeah? quintessential neighborhood with like a cul-de-sac uh-huh. and. Kids, lots of kids in every house, so people sort of banded together and... Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. the whole neighborhood came out to see the <laughs> the Korean girl. Back when people did that kind of thing. Yeah, like, oh, they brought over meals and stuff that like that. That is adorable. Yeah. <laughs> so, wait, so you said your sister, like, basically begged your parents for a little sister. Yes, she would come home every day and, like, just cry her eyes out and wanted a little sister so bad... And at the time, my mom couldn't have any more children, so they sort of thought they were done with one. Sure. Um, And then she told my parents, like, oh, some kid in my class adopted a little girl from Korea. And my parents were like, 
Okay. We'll, we'll do that too. Where do we sign up? And that was it. That's like really? all they needed. Yeah. That, that was, was all the only, convincing. they were like, sure. Yeah. We're going to, we'll do that too. Well, we'll how long, one. like what age did that start with your sister? Probably when she was like seven. So they, she, seven. it took a year. It took a year for them to, to really listen to her or maybe at that point they were just like, okay, all right, fine. We'll get you a sister. <laughs> Wow. We'll go get one from Korea, I guess. <laughs> I think that was sort of like the hot spot, you know? like Yeah, yeah. They weren't doing like that many like Chinese adoptions at the time. I think Korea uh-huh. was like where it was at. <laughs> Did you talk to your sister about that? Oh, yeah. Because then there were like lots of times during our childhood where I was sort of convinced she maybe wanted to send me back. <laughs> Because we were at, like, such weird ages. You know, she was a teenager, and I was, like, an annoying, like, little sister. Well, at some age, she's probably like, I want to go hang out with my friends, and your parents are like, you're going to babysit your sister. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember lots of times babysitting. I remember lots of times ratting on her for, like, having parties, and, (laughs) you know, I think that's probably when she was like, oh, man, this little sister is like... What age did the party start? Uh, when I was... She was, like, 16, so uh-huh. I would have been, like, That's nine. A, okay, sure. That's, like, a regular age to have parties. Oh, yeah. And I... I as a nine-year-old, you're like, I don't want to have anything to do with this. Right. And then, but then after <clears> a certain <throat> couple of years, it was like, okay, when can you start buying me alcohol? <laughs> so at nine, at nine years old, you're like, when can you start buying me? We're not going to steal it anymore out of the cabinet. No. Did she do that? She... When I was, like, 15, she would have been, well... 22 at the time. Yeah, she could drink then. So she was definitely drinking, and she was definitely buying me alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Again, sorry, Mom. (laughs) So you were the only adoptee in the family? Yeah. You have no other siblings? No other siblings. So just your older sister and your two parents? Yeah. Okay. And what was it like growing up here in Boston, in the area? Well, what what area specifically did you grow up in? So I grew up in a town called Canton, which is just outside the city, Mm -hmm. Um, super white, as you can imagine, like that's my suburbs. image of like New England in general. Is that super white? Yeah. Um, and then we moved to Colorado when I was little, from age six to eight. Oh, really? Yeah, we lived outside of Denver. My what, parents. What did you do out there? What? Well, your parents? Get, your dad get a job? Your mom got a job out there? My dad is a contractor, and he. We did this road trip from like a construction contractor. Yeah. Okay. So we did this road trip one summer from. L.A. back to Boston in my aunt and uncle's, like, huge um, RV. Oh, yeah, like an RV. A huge RV, because they were in the ice capades, and so that's (laughs) how they traveled around the country. Really? Yes. So we were driving their RV back to Boston, and so we took a whole summer doing it. And, like, I thought it was awesome. My sister at the time was probably, like, 12 or 13. She hated it. She hated every second of it. Sure. just being locked with your family for no friends two, two months. There's no cell phones. No. There's no internet. Right. <laughs> like there's the Grand Canyon. Like we're in South Dakota. You know, like it, I can't imagine like how miserable that probably was for her. Oh uh, yeah. But when we drove through Colorado, my parents just fell in love with it. So we mm-hmm. just 
picked up and moved to Colorado. Really? My dad said he'll give it like two years to start his business. Uh-huh. And if things didn't pick up, then we would come back to Boston. So things didn't pick up? Didn't pick up. We were we lived in a town called Castle Rock, which is about forty minutes outside of Denver. Uh-huh. And my dad built this beautiful house for us and then it just didn't work. So we came back. Yeah. Which was fine. And it was kind of fun to do something <clears throat> different. And my parents like in loved just being out west. Okay. Um, but they're really it just didn't work out they're New Englanders oh yeah oh yeah like in what sense in what sense are they New Englanders versus Colorado Coloradans Coloradians yeah yeah. they like we lived on like I don't know a hundred acres of land and like they didn't know what to do with the hundred acres. Of <laughs> they weren't land. like farming it. Yeah, we didn't. We, we didn't have like horses. At one time, we did have like cows and goats. Oh really? Oh yeah. So you tried the whole farming? Oh, thing. they try. Oh, they tried it, but they were just like fish out of water. Yeah. And just like these Bostonians who are pretending <laughs> that they know what they're doing, and like we took horseback riding lessons. Did you? Oh yeah. And I, the well, that must have been nice. Like, your sister must have liked that, at least. I think a little bit. I mean, the driving age then was, like, 15. So okay. she, like, really loved being out on those, like, back dirt roads where sure. she could just drive her car. What kind of car though, was it? She had, like, a Subaru, like, four-door, like, some sort of four-wheel drive car. Oh, something you could really, like, go back road, like, oh, mud yeah. in it. Absolutely. Probably when she was, like, 14. <laughs> <laughs> but there were no rules out there because no, like houses were two miles from me. Well, if you got a hundred acres, right? Yeah, might as well. Yeah, <laughs> like what else do you have going on out there? Well, I was a figure skater. Were you? Yes. How long did you do that for? Until I was fifteen. So from once you got into Colorado, you started figure skating. Once I like got to Boston, I started figure skating. Oh, really? Yeah. So from eighteen months old. Oh yeah, my whole family. Um, was it because of the ice capades? Yeah, so <laughs> a lot has to do with it. So my mom is one of eight, and they all grew up in a rink, basically either figure skating or playing hockey. She a Catholic? So, oh, yeah. French Catholic. A lots French of kids. Catholic? Yeah. Not an Irish Catholic? No, my dad's the Irish Catholic. I see, okay. So they all um, either had to figure skate or play hockey. And that was, like, uh-huh. their, the only thing they really could choose from. What else do you do in Boston? I know. Uh, ski. Football, I guess. Yeah, football, baseball, hockey. Uh-huh. Ba- yeah, pretty much. But yeah, we all grew up in the rink, and it, it we really didn't have a choice. We had to skate. Yeah. So I was a competitive figure skater until I was 15, until I went off to boarding school. Wow, you are competitive? Yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah. So you were pretty good then. I was okay. I It was a little too intense for what I was looking for at the time. It's like oh, a yeah. really political, kind of a dirty sport sometimes. It sounded, so uh, my, I grew up, I also figure skated for a couple of no years. No way! Uh, Look at us! <laughs> figure skaters! I was not good. <laughs> I was not competitive. I was too scared to be competitive. It was like, I don't know why, because there's like no boys that figure skate. <laughs> The girls were intimidating. Uh, my friend Shayna, my best friend, actually, her uh, sister I interviewed, Megan, um, for one of the episodes. But Shayna uh, was, you know, she was, like, getting Olympic training. Mm-hmm. And she was getting ready to do all that kind of stuff. And I was, like, on the other side, like, doing, like, sow cows. <laughs> 
like single sow cows. <laughs> single do, sow cows. Do like jumps. Yep. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You have uh, to start somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't nearly as serious as that. She was very serious. She was doing like double axles yeah, and all yeah, kinds yeah. of stuff. Uh, it seemed very intense. And then I don't know if you read uh, Tracy O'Neill's book, Mm-mm. The Hopeful. It Mm-mm. sounds like uh, she's very familiar with all that. So I imagine that I haven't interviewed Tracy. I would like to, but it sounds like she has a background in figure skating uh, as well. Okay. Um, but it, it does sound very intense as far as the climate and the politics mm-hmm. and the training and. Yep. All that stuff. It's very similar to gymnastics. <clears throat> yeah. That culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just was so... I was starting to get become really disinterested in, in moving away from that. I wanted to... At like, what age? 14, yeah. 15. I, I wanted to go to boarding school. I, you wanted to go to boarding I school? I wanted to go to boarding school so bad. Um, Why did you want to go to boarding school so bad? I had a couple friends that went to boarding school, and it just sounded really fun. <laughs> what, it sound like permanent sleepaway camp, but with yeah, uniforms? totally. Well, we didn't have a uniform. Oh, there were no uniforms? No uniforms. So we it's not that bad of a boarding school. Right. It's not very strict. Yeah, so we had a dress code, but not like... Um, a tie and a sweater vest uh-huh. or anything like that. It wasn't like Hogwarts. No, exactly. <laughs> That's what you would think of. Or yeah. or when I say boarding school, people think like, oh, what did you do? You must have done something really bad. It, yeah. Like you like, were, dis- like like you were sent being off punished. to military school. Yeah. Sure. No, you I had was, behavioral problems he, as a kid. Yeah. I just thought it would sounded really fun. And <laughs> I just wanted something different. And I grew up in we had moved to another very white suburban South Shore town. Uh-huh. And I was just bored. And my sister. Well, yeah. What else is what, other than figure skating and hockey and uh, football? Like, what is there to do in that town, really? Right, right, right. So I decided that I just wanted to go to boarding school. And now it's sort of funny in hindsight because I work at a private school, a private day school. Oh, yeah. And I didn't look at any day schools in the Boston area. Mm. And we are blessed to be in an area where it's. We have amazing schools, and I didn't wasn't interested in any of them here. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to Connecticut. I'm going to you went to Connecticut. Mm-hmm. So you just it was it just that you wanted to get away? Yeah, I just wanted something different. I wanted I actually like cared about my education. Mm. Um, whereas like my sister, I think if if she had expressed an interest, they my parents would have given her that opportunity as well. Uh-huh. Um, but she wasn't really that interested in, in school, and, you know, it, she had some learning disabilities and differences, so it was hard for her. Uh-huh. Um, whereas, like, I was kind of interested in school. I wanted to go to college. It wasn't when, or it wasn't if I go to college, it was when I go to college. Uh-huh. Um, and so they were willing to, to put in that investment into my education, which was great. Yeah, that's and awesome. And I loved every second of it. And, you know, if I were to ever have kids, I would think about boarding school, but probably not because by the time I have kids <laughs> and send them to school, it will be $100,000 a year. It's like college tuition going to boarding schools, I it feel is. like. I mean, I don't it have is. kids, but I can imagine it's, it sounds very expensive. It is. It's probably about $55,000 a year. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. That sounds like more than a college tuition to me. It is. For some schools, it is more than a college tuition. Do they offer scholarships at these boarding schools? Um, They offer financial aid. So uh, depending on your like finances, it's, it's, you don't have to pay it back. It's not okay. like scholarships or like as in college. Uh-huh. Um, but they do offer financial assistance. So 
did you decide you were going to go to Connecticut because your friends were in Connecticut? Or did you, like, do some research and you were like, ah, Connecticut's where it's at? I did do some research. I looked at a, a number of different schools. Um, and the one school that I did go to, the second I walked onto campus, I just fell in love. And oh, my yeah? parents knew this was the place that they wanted me to go. What was it about that school? Um, it looks like a college campus. Um, and I really just loved all the the sports and the activities and just the culture and the community oh, there. Yeah. Um, it, at the time it was about half boarding, half day students. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it was just seemed like a really nice place. There were a lot of international students or kids from all over the country. Um, it just was something that I really wanted to, um, invest my time in. So which school is this? It's called the Loomis Chafee School. It's um, right outside of Hartford, Connecticut. Oh, this sounds very fancy. This sounds like a very fancy... So what sport... You you wanted to do sports? I did. But not figure skating. Not figure skating. And I wish that I had figure skated for maybe one more year because I had one more test to pass. Oh, for what? What does that mean? So you you have to pass like certain levels to get your gold test. And Uh I was like that one test away from getting my gold test. So what do you do after a gold test? You're just like, I don't know, Michelle, Michelle Kwan, you go to the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> Christiana Gucci. You start like, were, were they, were they inspirations for you as a kid? Were they like big Christiana figures? Gucci was like a big deal. Yeah. Because she was, not even because she was Asian, but she just like was, seemed young and so nice mm. and mm-hmm. very gracious um, and so, oh, everyone wanted to be Christy Yamaguchi. Yeah, I wanted time. to be Christy Yamaguchi. Yeah, sure. I mean, why not? She's super cool. Well, because also, I feel like, I don't know if it was just because I was figure skating back then, but it was like, when you watch the Olympics, the figure skating was like, for the Winter Olympics, figure skating was kind of where it was at, it oh, seemed yeah. like. That was like the event to watch. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You watch your long program, your short program. <laughs> yeah, and when I skated, pairs. you had to do figures. Which they don't do anymore. What is that? See, I don't it's even... like when you, it seems so stupid <clears throat> now, but like you have to trace um, a figure eight on oh, the ice. Mm-hmm. And they're like different patterns. Yeah. It, it was like so boring and everyone hated it. And now, <laughs> and they totally got rid of it. But now it's like, uh, I don't know, it seems closer to like ice dancing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The moves in the field. So, right, yep. So at that point, I was like, I'm going to boarding school. I want to play other sports. So I played soccer and ice hockey. And so... So you stayed on the ice. I stayed on the ice. Mostly because I had to play a sport every uh-huh. season. Is that and, like a school requirement? Mm-hmm. Three sports. And so... Three sports? Mm-hmm. So you said soccer, soccer ice hockey? ice hockey, and then... I think I took driver's ed. That's <laughs> a sport? spring sport. That's not a sport. <laughs> Driver's it, Ed? It fulfilled a sport requirement. What? Cool. Yes. <laughs> Is it because the adrenaline's running so high? <laughs> I hope it wasn't like competitive Driver's Ed. <laughs> we would walk to camp uh, to the middle of town and we would take Driver's Ed and that would be my afternoon requirement. So doesn't everybody have to do that though? Like wouldn't everybody pick Driver's Ed because they all want to drive? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people did it outside of school if they didn't have, if they had a spring sport or if they had three seasons of sports. I really should have played lacrosse because I think I would have loved lacrosse. 
Yeah, but then uh, when are you going to do driver's ed? <laughs> exactly. Then come summer, I wouldn't have been able to get my license. And that would have yeah. just been not okay. <laughs> so it was it hockey because you were already used to the ice? Yeah. So my friend said, you have to play hockey. You have to try out. And uh-huh. I, like, didn't know anything about hockey. I didn't know the rules, like, how to hold a stick, how to But you know how to skate. And you had to skate. That was it. And so I, like, somehow made varsity as a sophomore my first year, not knowing anything. But I literally sat on the bench for an entire season. Really? On varsity? On varsity. I just, I practiced with them every day. Uh So it was great because I was practicing with girls who were going to Dartmouth, going to Princeton. They were really good. So I was able to learn so much in that season, but I froze my ass off because I just sat... (laughs) And watched hockey and learned what a power play was and what oh, a yeah. penalty was. Uh-huh. Um, but it was great, and I just loved it. And I played all three years at Loomis, and then I played at the University of Vermont. So you ended up going to Vermont? Yes. More more hockey up there? More Oh, my gosh. Hockey is all there is in Vermont. Well, there's, like, skiing and snowboarding up there, right? Yeah, but UVM men's hockey is, like, a big deal up there. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. It was, like, years of waiting lists to get season tickets to... Like, just to get tickets? Just to get tickets, yeah. It was awesome. I mean, like, there's no other sports sports teams up there. Uh Uh-huh. You know, so I guess like Dartmouth hockey, whatever. But up in Burlington, it was all about UVM sure. hockey. Wow. Yeah. So you so, followed the hockey path all the way up. Yeah. Oddly enough, I did. And, you know, the women's team, when I went up there, they were still a club program. Uh-huh. And then they moved into Division Three when I was a sophomore. Is there like Division One women's hockey? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What schools are they? BC... Like Dartmouth, Princeton, Harvard. There's a bunch of um, Midwest, like Minnesota. Oh yeah. I think. Someone out in like Faribault or whatever. There's a school out there that's yeah. like the place to go. Yeah. Um. I think I want to say Minnesota won this year. They beat BC girls, women who had an undefeated season. Really. Yeah. They lost three to one in the the last game. Huh. Playoffs. That sounds intense. Yeah, it sounds really sad. Yeah. You know, like you have this amazing. You go all the way. And then... well, that's nothing to be ashamed of, though. No, I mean, nothing like, to be ashamed of. But as an athlete, you're like, <clears throat> but I still, we still didn't win. Well, sure, yeah. I mean, there's always that, I guess. <laughs> but you could be the team that lost every game. Yeah, that's. I have been on teams like that before. <laughs> and you know what? It's all about grit and determination and. <laughs> Good team bonding. <laughs> well, so did you notice a difference when you were growing up uh, in how you were treated by your friends or anything like that from, I assume you went to public school before you mm-hmm. went to boarding school. Mm-hmm. Was there any difference in environment or how was that uh, a change for you? Was there a change? Yeah. Going from public school to private school, um, there it was academically more challenging. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I don't remember really doing that much homework when I was in public school. And then was it because there wasn't any homework? You just didn't do it. And probably a, a mix of both. But once I got to Loomis, I was like, "Holy shit! There's a lot of work 
And these yeah. kids are really freaking smart. I imagine you like had to get in there, right? Like yeah. admissions test. Exactly. So I had to take a test. I had to go through an interview, application, all the things that I read now as an um, you know associate director of admissions. That's all I'm doing. So it's really funny to look at it from the other side. Uh-huh. Um, and how if I were applying to a private school right now, I probably wouldn't get in. <laughs> It's so competitive. I, no, I bet you'd get in. No, it's so competitive. <clears throat> you have to be, like, scoring your tests in the 80, 90th percentile. You have to be playing piano in the trombone, play three sports, also be, like, a renowned artist. And then, like, <laughs> you know, at the Boston Ballet. Like, you have to be doing all these it's things. It's that competitive yeah, at, like, the high school level now? Oh, in the middle school level. Come on. I swear. It's like you're, I'm interviewing fifth graders to be admitted into our school, and we're like, oh, man, you only play one sport. What? It's super What if they, their parents donate a wing? <laughs> Sometimes that comes into play. I'm, I'm sure it does. <laughs> but, wow. But, yeah, I think that just the transition from public to private school was a big shock to me. Um, I also realized... How many more? How much more diversity there was at private schools? Really? Oh yeah. Um, not only just the international students, but just students from all over the country. Hmm. Different, like really, you know, different remote areas that I had never heard of. Like, like what? I don't know. Just like the down south or out west. Um, you know, and kids who were. From like Los Angeles, which seemed like really like glamorous and cool, and <laughs> they were know. like all from Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. They were like Hollywood kids, and like I had never heard of anything like that. Like I went to school and was like, my Gap clothes are pretty cool, you know. <laughs> and then there are people in like wearing Cartier and like what Gucci, and I'm like, what's that? <laughs> so, I really like your Gucci shirt. <laughs> exactly. I was like, I felt really like dorky and. <laughs> Like, I didn't know what was going on in the world. Oh, no. But then a lot of my friends were from, you know, different parts of the world, too. Uh-huh. Um, and what I think is funny now in, is that a lot of the Asian students for, that were there were from Japan or Korea. Mm-hmm. Because during the, you know, the mid-90s boom, it was, um, those were the Asian students that were coming to the the States to study. Uh-huh. And I always looked at them, like, so different. Like, oh, those are Asian kids. Really? Like totally removing myself from. You didn't like, include yourself. No. In the, did they try not. to include themselves into your group at all, or try to be no. friends with you? Or they're like, you're not a real Asian. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I was not a real Asian. Yeah. Well, and all. Did they tell you that? Not in so many words, but. What was your experience with that? Um, I feel like I never really identified with even any of the Korean kids because they were all speaking Korean. Right. And I didn't really know that much about Korea at the time. Okay. I never, I didn't know, like, a lick of Korean. Sure. I mean, why, like, why would you? Right. So, and I didn't identify with anything really Korean. I felt, like, very much American Uh as apple pie. Did your parents, did you, your parents try to expose you to any Korean culture or uh, adoption stuff or anything like that growing up? Not really. I had, we had um, a group of kids that I was forced to hang out with sometimes. 
They're also <laughs> Korean <laughs> what does adoptees. That mean? Like, I feel like they, they were, like they had some kind of parent group, and yes. they were like, "You're going to hang out with these yes, kids now." You, you like the parents are going to hang out, and the kids are going to be forced to hang out, and you guys are all going to like talk about life. Were they also adopted through the same agency and everything? That's I think it they... was like an, an agency, definitely an agency thing. But there was no one really that I was drawn to or mm. really identified with. And you were adopted through Holt. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So there's like, I think they, yeah, they had like an established, I don't know if it's by area or whatever, but there's an organization probably around here that's like, oh, these parents can hang out with each other. They're at the same stage. Right. This is the Boston group of adopted kids. Yeah. Sure. So that was really the only time I ever identified with, or even was forced to hang out with Asian kids. How long did that last? Not long. I think I probably had like, skating or something to go to. <laughs> Did you use that as an excuse? You were like, yeah. oh, we got stuff to do, right, right, mom right. and dad. <laughs> They're like, okay, fine, you don't have to go <laughs> to that anymore. But, yeah, most of my friends growing up were all white. I didn't mm-hmm. have my first, like, real Asian friend until I got out of college. Oh, really? When I moved to Boston. So you were like, you, you and the other Asians in uh, your private boarding school were like, no. No. Yeah, no. And mostly white friends? Mostly white friends. What and about the other international students? Not so much? No. Well, my best friend is from Istanbul. Okay. Um, and she was actually just here a couple weeks ago. But she's, like, Turkish-American, so she's okay. very American. She grew up in Saudi Arabia on an oh. American compound and then ended oh, up in boarding okay. school. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and she now she moved to Istanbul um, almost 10 years ago at this point. But... Still out there? She's still very American. (laughs) Um, And then going to UVM. There's no, barely any Asian people at UVM. Yeah, I can imagine that. So it's it's all white there. (laughs) Well, like, what's the the Asian population in Vermont in general? Yeah, I don't know, 2%. Yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, I told you about my, like, fake ID story. Did I tell you about that? I don't think so. Okay, so... So, yeah, how do you even get a fake ID up there unless... You go and take the picture in the giant ID. <laughs> well, back, in, <laughs> back when I started at UVM, they still had, like, liquor licenses or liquor IDs. What? And it it was, like, um... How do you know? What is a liquor ID? Like, it, it says, a, like, you are allowed to purchase liquor. Yeah, you're, it just said your birthday. It didn't even have a picture on it what? at the time. They did, I don't think they had pictures on their licenses at the time. That's a this weird This is, like, 1997, ID. okay? Yeah, but come on. I mean... Yeah, Vermont. In 97, there were picture IDs. It's not like they were invented in, like, 2005. But I think it was still new in Vermont. <laughs> okay. So I was at a party, and this girl came up to me, and she said, are you 21? I said, no, I'm you know, 18. I just got to college. And she said, well, I'm turning 21 next week. Um, I have an ID. Asian girl? ID. Yes. But not looking anything like that me. doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, especially in such a low populated <laughs> area of Asians. Exactly. So I was like, "Yes, I will totally take your ID." <laughs> and she's like, "Okay, for free or what?" For free. It? She was just Come passing on. it along. You she know? was like, "This is your right of she passage." Was bestowing, yeah, her her fake ID to me, and so <laughs> I used that girl's fake ID for a while for like three years. You were yeah. like, "This is my ID." I think she was maybe Filipino <clears throat> or something. that's not even remotely. Or close. Spanish. I don't Come even know. Come on. What was her name? Her name was Esther Sandoval. 
I don't even think she was Asian, to be honest. She was, like, mildly ethnic. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and it worked. Like, I never had to memorize any, like, information on it. They looked, and they were like, oh, this is an Asian girl, just like So you, you. didn't even try to memorize it. You were just like, sure, Asian. Exactly. Wait, no, 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 wait, wait. So, <laughs> so uh, there's no picture, though, so how are they making that determination? Well, there was a picture on her because she was from a different <clears throat> state. What state was she from? It's a great question. I don't even remember. You don't I even didn't remember? Even, I didn't even have to remember anything on it. If they had asked you the most basic questions, you would have failed this I test. I would have failed. I would have been like... I don't know my birthday. <laughs> Give that back to me. I don't know what state I'm from. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had another ID um, of a girl named Sandy Dang. That sounds a little bit closer, She's, at least. I think she was maybe Chinese. Uh-huh. Um, and it was cracked in half. <laughs> and I would go to the bar with it in two pieces, and it still worked. <laughs> Did you, like, try to tape it or anything? I think at some point I must have taped it so I wouldn't lose both pieces. Right. But yeah, that's uh, that's how few Asian people were in Burlington at the time. <laughs> so I could go to the bar with any. Was sort there of a picture ID. on that one? Yeah, Sandy Dang was from Florida. Oh, someone, okay. So you remember this one? Yeah, someone found her ID like at a bar somewhere and was like, "So oh, this was not Asian. bestowed upon you." No, this was just by like chance. And they were like, "Was oh, it a friend?" Yeah, I think someone found it, and they were like, "Well, you're Asian, so you should probably use this." It wasn't even like cool. by like somebody like picked it up. and was like, "Is this yours?" Nope, nope, <laughs> just given to me <laughs> as a gift. As a gift, and I from thought, the gods. Yeah. So, what'd you do with the old one? Was that not working for you anymore? You were just like, "This one's better." Well, I think a couple times I had gotten called out by bouncers who knew who that girl was because <laughs> she had really? gone to UVM. Yes. So I knew I had to, to move on from Esther. Oh. But she still holds like a really special place in my heart. <laughs> she thanks, got me into a lot for of all bars the alcohol. and, you know, yeah, wow. that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, uh, yeah, I don't know, I had different experiences in New York because I, it, usually well, nobody yeah, ID'd yeah. me getting into bars. But the few times that I did, there, it was always usually when I was with a pack of Asians and some guy would just be like, even though he already used it, would give it to me anyways, like, pass, pass it back. Pass it back? And I would use the same ID and still get in. And it would work. Yeah, because most of the time they don't really care. As long as it looks like they're checking an ID, yeah, that's they're good. True. And New York, I feel like, is a little more... They're a little bit know, more loose with it. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I heard that that's not the case anymore. You know, I'm obviously way past the age of using a <laughs> fake ID, so I don't know. But I heard that they're more stringent... Because the, I don't know if it's the, the enforcement has gone up or the fines or, mm-hmm. I think it's like you're going to lose your liquor license or yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's scary for Sure, because it's bar. hard to get. It's hard to get and it's expensive for mm-hmm, them to get. So mm-hmm. nobody wants to put that in jeopardy. No way. Jose. Yeah, they can't take that risk. You can't, even with uh, <laughs> some Korean person coming up with a <laughs> Filipino or a mildly ethnic yeah, <laughs> ID. I know. And by the time I turned 21, people were like, you're just turning 21 now? You've been in this bar for three years. Yeah. Well, well you've been serving now me I'm legal. Now I'm legal. You like celebrated your 21st birthday at the bar and they were yeah. like, what? Yeah. I actually, fun fact, I spent my 21st birthday in Maui. Hawaii. Yes. Because I was, tr- I studied abroad my... Junior year in Where'd Australia. That's nice. It was awesome. More Australians and uh, more Asians more there. More Asians there, yes. <coughs> Where in studying. Australia? I was in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went with a bunch of 
friends, actually. So at that semester, about 40 students from UVM were somewhere in the country of wow. Asia. Or Australia. Australia. So there were lots of us there. I used to see them when I would go to bars or go out. <laughs> I'm like... I, this is weird. We're on the other side of the world, but yet UVM is We were right like wearing UVM sweatshirts. Oh, probably, <laughs> you know? Um, but I was flying back from Australia, and I stopped in Hawaii for a little bit of time. Why not? Why not? You know, it's just on the way home. Right. Ton of Asians in Hawaii. Ton of Asians, <laughs> and I got my purse stolen the day before my 21st birthday. What? Mm-hmm. In Maui? In Maui. So... Some little shit was running around with my almost 21 ID. ID. <laughs> and I had no purse. Your fake ID or your real my ID? My real license. <laughs> They're probably like, jackpot. Like, this girl's about to turn 21 tomorrow. Let me just like... And you were like, I would have given this to you I, in the future. Yeah, I would have just gotten home. Pay it forward. Like, yeah, give, got a new license. But yeah, they stole my purse. Like my wallet, my sunglasses, everything. And Damn. luckily, I was traveling with a friend who was able to get. What about me your home. passport and everything? Luckily, my passport wasn't in there, so I was able to get on a plane. But this yeah. is also pre like nine eleven. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah. I probably would have been able to finagle my. Not as bad on an, on as restrictive. Yeah. No porno scanners yet. No pat downs. Nope, nothing like that. So I probably would have been okay. But that's like a memorable twenty first birthday. Sure, Maui. Maui. Was that real crazy? No wallet. You know, it's cool. Yeah. How did you pay for liquor? <laughs> or did you just get a bunch of guys to buy you drinks? I, I, you know, it was my birthday, so <laughs> just kept, kept ordering rounds. <laughs> I I see how it is. All right, it's easier for a girl to do than a guy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Hundred percent. Not real fair. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So UVM. Mm-hmm. What do you end up studying at UVM? Psychology. Psychology. What drew you to psychology? Well, I really wanted to go into sports psychology uh-huh. um, because when I was figure skating, um, I went to a sports psychologist too when I was little. So what is like what does a sports psychologist do? So they're helping you visualize um, your performance. It's a lot of like visualize success. success. Is that what it is? Yes. So success, your program, what your jumps would look like, what you're thinking about going from like move to move, Um, a lot, I feel like a lot of individual like type of athletes, like golfers, tennis players, Uh gymnasts, um, at the time when I was that young, were seeing sports psychologists. So this is not like therapy, this is like to, to make you the best athlete possible. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I started seeing a sports psychologist when I was 10. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, and he basically, I feel like, was a huge part of my adolescence. And In what way? Um, I think I, I was able to... I was a lot more mature than my age at the time. I was like, wise beyond my years. I really understood what the underlying, you know issues and were going on in figure skating huh. um, and how I didn't really want to necessarily be a part of it. And he helped you out with that? He or you kind of came to that I conclusion? I came to that conclusion, but he helped me sort of be the best that I could be at the time. Okay. But um, then you were like, you saw some cracks in the system. You were like, this is a little fucked up. Yeah. And like, I why am I still doing this? I'm like 15. I'm not going to the Olympics. 
It was fun while it lasted. That was that 50 year like, this isn't going to happen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like very. So he didn't do a good enough job. <laughs> <laughs> my parents spent too much money on him. <laughs> but no, he was great. I mean, he wrote a lot of my college recommendations. Like he was a oh, really nice. big part of my life at that time. Um, and so I wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to work with athletes. I wanted uh-huh. to either work with a sports team or individual athletes. And then I realized like how much more school I would have to go through. To be a doctor? To be a doctor. Yeah. And that's when I was like, mm, I don't think that's the road I want to go down. But you still studied psychology in college. Still studied psychology, yes. Were you focused in sports psychology or you just like, did you have a focus? No, just general psych. Okay. My dad was like, what are you doing with a psych degree? I'm going to be a sports psychologist. Yeah, well, <laughs> and he was like, who is paying for that level of education? So like, he, I'm not. he said there's going to be a limit then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got a limit. I got four years. Uh-huh. And if it rolled into five, then... No go. No go. It wasn't going to be a fifth year of payment. Oh, was it going to be... I wasn't going to be a super senior uh-huh. by any means. So that... And then who's going to pay for, like... I don't even... Do, do they have to go to med school? What's the deal with that? You, yeah, you'd have to get a PhD. And sure. To, okay. If I wanted to do, like, private practice... Uh-huh. So that just seemed like a lot of school. So did you end up going, doing something else other than psychology or did, what, what was like your minor? Did you get followed up? Sociology. Okay. So my dad was like, great. (laughs) Some more of the same kind of. Bachelor of Arts (laughs) degree. What do you, what kind of job are you going to get now? Oh God. My dad's like, you couldn't be like, be a nurse or like going to, I don't know. My dad was like, great. This is a amazing liberal arts degree that you have. Was that something you'd even be remotely interested in being a nurse or anything like that? Oh, no. No, but he was like, get it. You should be in like a major where there's going to be a career path from here. Did you study psychology abroad too when you went abroad to Australia? Oh, you know what classes I took in Australia? What did you take in Australia? Surfing. Australian (laughs) pop culture. Come on, that's not a class. What does that mean? It's basically American pop culture. Yeah, what kind of pop culture do they have in Australia that's different than our pop culture? Right. So then I took a Defining Australia class, which is more about, like, I guess some of the history. Like historical Australia. I took American Lit. In Australia? Oh, yeah. I crushed it. Come on. I crushed it. Is it an Aussie teaching the course, too? Yeah. Yeah, me and another American, we took American Lit and just nailed it. (laughs) Like, what are you studying that in Australia? Like, I know. What, what, what did they focus on? What kind of literature? I don't even remember. I probably was just like, so like drunk. Edgar Allan Poe, like Mark Twain. Not even. I don't even remember being. Was it like F. Scott Fitzgerald? Like, what kind of Maybe American? Maybe F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah. I don't know. I was. I only went to class Tuesday. <laughs> you were like, I'm Wednesday, doing shots on the beach Thursday. right now. This yes. is it. That's my focus. That's my field of study. Yeah, right here in Australia. Yeah, my parents at one point were like, "Are are you going to school or class, or are we just paying your bar tab?" Because we're not really clear what you're doing in Australia. <laughs> Did you have a job in Australia, or was it just? No, it was just school. Just school. I was focusing on school. <laughs> right. Yes. Of Tuesday, course. Wednesday, Thursday. <laughs> And then the rest of the time I was traveling around Australia, I was just doing what the locals do. And what is that? Other than, other than drinking, 
and uh, studying to, our pop culture. Going to the beach. Um, <laughs> did you learn how to surf down there? Oh, no, I'm a terrible surfer. Did, I did try to you learn. You tried? I tried. I actually <clears throat> went to a surfing and Spanish school in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. After graduation, like, Wait, did you ago. say a surfing and Spanish school or yeah. surfing in Spanish school? No, surfing and Spanish school. So I would take sp- <laughs> surfing lessons, like, depending on the tide, in the morning or the afternoon. And then the other f- half the day, I would take Spanish lessons. Okay. This is when I took a little hiatus from, like, life uh-huh. and work mm-hmm. and, like, just ran away to Costa Rica. Okay. From Australia? Um, no, this was in 2007. Okay. So I, like, was in between jobs and just, like... Okay, all right. We'll, we'll get back to that yeah. in a bit. So, so, so you're so in, in Australia, Australia. And I didn't learn how to surf there. <clears throat> Did you end up going to, like, Bali with all the other Aussies? Um, I tried to go to Fiji at one point. Oh, yeah, Fiji. But okay. there was a military coup going on, and the <laughs> prime minister was being held hostage, and so my mom said, no, you're not allowed to go to Fiji. But all the other Aussies were like, we're still going. Yeah. I was like, but it's on this like really small little island and it's not even. And she's like, no, don't, you're not even flying over Fiji. Like, what's wrong with you? So you were still like beholden to your mother, even in Australia that you were yeah. like, I'm going to, all right. And I'm- then that's why I ended up in Hawaii for two weeks because I was like, fine, I'm going to go to Hawaii. And she's like, I don't care where you go. As long as you're on American soil, you're, you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Could have gone to, like, Guam and you'd be okay. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't have cared about that. <laughs> Just as long. So on the way back, you go to Maui. Go to Maui for You get your weeks. purse stolen. Get my purse stolen and come back. And then I had the culture shock of going back to UVM for one more year. So was that like, uh, so you go to Australia, there's some Asians there. Mm-hmm. You go to Maui, there's way more Asians in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. This is like your first exposure to like many Asians. Yeah, where I felt like I was, it was the first time I felt like I was in the majority, I guess. Yeah. Um, which was weird because even though I looked like I was in the majority, I didn't really feel like uh-huh. I was any of them. Okay. So that was sort of strange. Um, and then. Strange to feel like you were in the majority? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So, so like, <laughs> like, did you do anything about that? Like, what do you, did you try to make friends with a lot of Asians for the first time? <laughs> no, not at all. You I avoided like, them. Yeah, I very much was not about being friends with Asians, I guess. Yeah? Yeah, until, I, until after college. Okay, so you finish your degree in mm-hmm. psychology with your minor in sociology. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you end up trying to pursue a master's, or you're like, no? Well... My first year out of college, I um, did an AmeriCorps program okay. called Athletes in Service to America, <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, and it was all former collegiate athletes, and oh. we did 1,600 hours of service in That a is year. a lot of service. Yeah, so we worked in, in, in the Boston Public Schools, community centers. Mm-hmm. So you come back to Boston? Mm-hmm. Okay. I come back to Boston, and my first friend was um, this girl, Sabrina. She was a volleyball player at Princeton. Oh, okay. And so we became friends. And so we used to always joke, too, because you have all these college athletes going into Boston public schools, and I actually used to work at a school down the street in the South End, 
and it was for kids who had been kicked out of mainstream public schools. Uh-huh. So they would walk in, get patted down, go through metal detectors, and you'd be like, okay, let's do this math sheet. And they'd be like, go fuck yourself. And you're like, wait, but that's not an option. <laughs> that's not on the paper. <laughs> no, that's, no, 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 no. You, have, you have to do it. You know, like, you have to follow these rules. And uh-huh. they were like, no. <laughs> and we used to joke because we're like, we're student athletes. We're just used to, like, playing by the rules and doing what we're told. Yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. being organized and whatever. And you have all these kids who are just, There's no like, game plan for this. Exactly. So we felt like we were... Were you warned at all fire. about this when you went into the program? We did a little bit of training. Um, but, yeah, I, I think we were really just thrown to the lions uh-huh. and just said... They said, good luck. You'll, you'll figure it out. What inspired you to do this? Um, I wanted to do some service work, um, and I stumbled upon this program, um, which I felt was very fitting for me. Um, and I actually had my interview with them on 9-11. Oh. Yeah, so I was supposed to go into the city um, because our home base was at Northeastern. The city meaning Boston. Boston. I was living <laughs> outside of the city at the time. And they called and they said, you know, we've evacuated the university and uh-huh. so we'll have to do it another day. <clears throat> so that's what I remember about like 9-11 that morning. Uh-huh. Getting ready to go into an interview and then... Having all that just like upended by... Yeah, exactly. New York. Um, so that was like a weird just time. But then, so when I started Athletes in Service to America, it was... I think it was a time when I was trying to figure out, do I want to go into education? Do I want to teach? And I was teaching in the classroom um, and doing all these, like, different kinds of um, events with kids and through sports and athletics Mm -hmm. and how that can, like, shape a lot of kids' lives, Mm -hmm. um, especially if they're in an underserved population. And I was sort of gravitated to that. I think probably... Because I, it was such a different life from what I was used to and how I grew up. And, sure, yeah. You know, how these kids are experiencing, you know, different areas of their life and tragedies and sad stories that I'll never go through mm-hmm. in my whole entire life. Right. And they're just kids, you know. They're, they, how they old are they? Yeah, um, I was working in a high school class, so mm-hmm. anywhere from, like, 14 to 18, I right. guess. But, like, going to baby showers for my students or... Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah or, like, funerals or things like, you know, just, like, really tragic stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was pretty sad, and it was an education for me, um, seeing it all firsthand, because I didn't really know much about the Boston public school system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it inspired me to work. I taught in the Boston Public Schools for another year and a half after my volunteer service. Um, With the same type of programs and everything like yep, that? same type of program. Um, and it's it, the people who teach in those kind of schools are really special people. Um, it's hard to go to work every day. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're really you're changing these kids' lives. And you may be the only consistent thing in their life. And so they they may not look forward to going to school to do work, but they do look forward to seeing you or that one special person that they have connected with mm-hmm. who is an important figure in their life. So I think that's pretty cool. I think that was one of my biggest takeaways. Um, 
But it also taught me that I didn't want to be a teacher. It's really <laughs> hard being a teacher. I yeah. mean, I give teachers so much credit. They, what they do, <clears throat> how they can control a classroom, and you know, they're dictating the the flow of the class and being able to understand how kids learn in different speeds and different styles. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's really hard. Um, but I did love education. I loved working with kids. I just didn't want to work in the classroom necessarily. So, so what, so what did you decide to do after that? So after that, I worked at a nonprofit, um, called the center for the study of sport and society. And it's housed at Northeastern Mm -hmm. right down the street. And they had created the athletes and service program. So they do work in schools and around the country with student athletes, um, sports figures, teams, um, working on social justice issues. So, um, I worked with a program called MVP and we traveled around the country to different colleges and trained student athletes in a curriculum about gender violence awareness. Hmm. So, um, that was pretty cool. We did a lot of traveling. I went to a lot of different colleges I never would have visited in my life. Um, and saw a lot of athletes that are now, you know, Famous athletes. They're all like pros. Yeah, exactly. Um, but now they know about gender violence. Exactly. <laughs> they know what to do in this, this situation. and um, But it was cool. It was great. It was a great experience. I loved just going to see all these like cool SEC schools. You know, like mm-hmm. um, Georgia and LSU. And, um, yeah, those are big schools. Big schools yeah. with like huge football programs. Yeah, a lot of big and, football programs down there. Um, going to Ole Miss or mm-hmm. even just like Santa Clara. Like I never had been to Santa Clara before, um, which is a beautiful school. So that was pretty cool. Um, I learned a lot from that too. And the training helped me because I was in front of people all the time. So if you're afraid of public speaking, that that was not. Better get over it quick. <laughs> yeah, that was probably not the best job to take. But um, Did they provide you with any training to deal with that? Oh, yeah. Lots of training. Just even just on the subject of how to deal with people um, who may have been in situations where they didn't really recognize that that may have been, you know, assault or battery mm. or, you know, um I, I, things that register or come up in the trainings and they were like, there's some like heavy shit that we talk about. And then just being sure, able yeah. to, um, console people and, and get them through that difficult like memory. Um, so that was hard. Um, but it was, it was a, a really great experience for me. And I did that for four years. Um, and then I, that's when I went to Costa Rica. <laughs> Took a little so pause like, I need a on break. life. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be definitely gonna be the only Asian in Costa Rica. That's yeah, it's super heavy content. It seems like for for a number of years beyond mm-hmm. four years. So you're doing that for basically since college up to Costa Rica. Yeah, basically. Did you feel like any of your psychology studying helped with all that stuff? Definitely. Um, I think that that was a huge part of why I stayed with it so long Mm -hmm. and why I was interested in that those topic areas and working with people and I I mean I think the psychology is was really influential um and I I think it helped with dealing with some of the that like hot topics that we were talking about Mm -hmm. so 
And I think psychology just applies to everyday life for, you know, work situations, just sure. interacting with people. As long as you're dealing with people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lots of... people are messed up. Yeah, lots of head cases <laughs> out there, you know? Exactly. So... So how long did you spend learning Spanish? Um, I was there for almost two months. Um, I went to... I lived in a, a town called Tamarindo. Um, and yeah, I lived in like a tree... Our classes were in like a tree house. <laughs> It was awesome. Um, and it was very rustic. Uh-huh. And if, like, you know me at all, like, that just doesn't really seem... Doesn't jive? No, to go along with what I'm usually down with. Um, I had a friend who came to visit me the last week I was there, and he, like, drove... I mean, it back in that time, Tamarindo is very different, I'm sure, now, eight years later. Uh-huh. Um, but at the time, it was very rustic. Um, they didn't have a lot of paved roads. They were mm. starting a lot of construction, like big hotels. and. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it's a, it was a touristy area, but um, I think it has grown a lot, and it's probably very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, it was pretty rustic, and he pulled up and saw where I was living, and could not believe he was like you've been living here for the last two months i'm like yeah isn't it cool like i live on that bunk bed and you know (laughs) it was like okay we i need to take you home (laughs) was this just like you needed a change after everything or yeah i just i had been traveling for a year non-stop like Uh on the road um, right and it wasn't like glamorous traveling it wasn't you're hearkening back to like your rv days or anything oh no it was it was you know when we were traveling on the road we were in like you know the a comfort in or like a days in and it was not glamorous right yeah and you know it was just the grind you were traveling and working and flying and so after a year of of hustling around, I was like, okay, I just need to like chill. And this is going to be the best place for that. All right. So you, you finished your surfing and did you learn a lot of Spanish? I did learn a lot of Spanish. I did not learn any surfing. <laughs> like I, I was like, I'm going to be so good at this because I'm super competitive. And like after a week of lessons, I'm, I'm probably going to be like signed by rip curl or You're probably something. Like the best surfer. I'm going to be ever. like the best girl surfer out there. Going to get sponsored. Totally. But then when you're not a good swimmer, <laughs> it's, it's really it's hard. hard. That's usually like... It's a full body. Like, those guys are ripped for a reason. It's like, surfing right, is hard. Right. Kelly Slater looks the way he does because he's so strong and he's out there, like, yeah. killing waves. No, I'm a really bad <laughs> swimmer, so every time, like, a wave would come and you roll yourself under the surfboard for, like, 10 seconds, I was like, this is definitely when I'm going to die. <laughs> If I come up, I'm going to get out of the water. So, yeah, I just, like, really... Surfing never just, like, clicked with uh-huh. me. You'd so. rather the water be frozen. Frozen. You ice, on top of it. That feels much more comfortable for me. Uh-huh. It's, like, solid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I loved Costa Rica because I love the beach. I love the sun. Like, I, yet I still live in Boston. Um, so Do you ever at least take a trip to, like, Florida or anything? Oh, yeah. I travel <laughs> at any chance I get. Like, drop a dime, you're like, yes, get me out of Boston. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it seems like you, you keep coming back to Boston, know, so you must be drawn to it. It's so weird. I think, you know, eight years ago, I looked at jobs out in 
California. I really wanted to work in a school out there. Uh-huh. And 2008 was like, you know, rough financial time. The economy was not doing yeah. great. So probably wasn't the best year to look for a new job. People had jobs. They weren't leaving them. So yeah. California didn't really pan out. But, I mean, even when I went tried to go to college and was applying to schools, I actually tried to apply to the University of Hawaii. Oh, yeah? And my dad said he wouldn't pay for the postage stamp for that application. <laughs> and he was like, you're out of your mind. So, I, I mean, I really tried to get go where the sun was. Did he just want to, like, keep you close? Yeah. So my mom and dad said that there was, like, a college was, like, a no-fly zone. So it was, like, you can go anywhere, like, here. Within driving range? Yeah. You had to get in a car. You had to be able to get there in a car. <clears throat> yeah. You couldn't fly. And I think they mostly did that because they knew if they let me go to California or you like never somewhere come back. Warm, I would never have come home. Really? Mm-hmm. So they sensed it. Oh, they knew. Like, I mean, I think even just me going to boarding school, they knew that I was ready to like take off. Uh huh. Um, and that if I had gone to UC Santa Barbara, like no brainer, I'd never have left Santa Barbara. <laughs> Did they have like major empty nest syndrome going on or was it that you you just wanted to get away that bad? Um, my sister had moved out like a, a while back. So I think they were ready to be empty nesters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think my parents had gotten to the point where like, we're kind of done parenting. Like we've done as much as we can to give you the tools to be uh-huh. a good person. So now we'll let you go. And that's to boarding school. (laughs) But then they wanted to keep you in the area. They did. They definitely wanted to keep me in the area. um, And so they they loved that I went to UVM. Mm -hmm. Even though I I really hate the snow, I hate the cold. (laughs) Really? Oh, I hate it. And last year was so torturous in New England. Uh It was terrible. But, okay, so you're done with Costa Rica. Your friend brings you back, what, up here? Back to Boston, yep. What do you do then? I, like, you know, cried my eyes out because I couldn't (laughs) find a job. It was 2008, and it was a bad year. So I worked at Lululemon. Okay. For six months. Uh Uh-huh, selling, like, yoga pants. Selling yoga pants, just, like, trying to look for a job. Uh Uh-huh. Doing yoga, because that's what they all do. Sure. Got to do something with all those discount yoga pants you're getting. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm, I, I've been to every, like, studio and gym in the city. Um, <laughs> doing yoga. Doing yoga, doing some bar classes or spinning. Um, oh, yeah. Pilates. Pilates. I do. I've done it all. Done it all. So, um, six months of working at Lululemon folding yoga pants. Um, <laughs> no offense. I love wearing Lululemon, but um, I got a job at the Stepping Stone Foundation, which is um, an educational nonprofit. Um, It helps Boston school children um, gain access to some of the city's, like, best private schools. Mm -hmm. So they'd go through an application process similar to applying to a private school, um, and then it's a 14-month academic program that prepares them for to apply to these schools. Okay. Um, so I interviewed like fourth graders to be in this program. Um, so kids that were super motivated, they loved to learn and you know, there was something really special that a teacher saw in them and they just were sort of in an underserved population. 
Um, and so I worked there for a couple years. It was, it was great, you know, getting back into education, back into Boston public schools, um, and giving these kids these, an opportunity that they would never have gotten before. Right. Just a chance, you uh-huh. know, taking a chance on a kid and, and seeing them be successful was, was amazing. Um, and then two years after working at Stepping Stone, I moved into my current job now, um, which is funny because it's one of the placement schools that our Stepping Stone, the Stepping Stone kids would apply to. Is that how you got the, you made some connections? Yeah. So it, it was funny because, um, I knew about the school. I grew up down the street from it. I had a lot of friends that went to school there. Um, and so it, fe- it felt like a really natural transition to mm. then work in admissions at a private school. So. So it seems like you, the theme so far is that you keep getting drawn back to these jobs where you want to help underprivileged kids in some way, shape, yeah. or form. You know, what, what is driving you to keep doing that? Um, I think it's just the the possibilities, which you, you have kids who have the drive, they have the motivation, um, and it's just about giving them one opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all they need. They need just someone who really cares about them or believes in them um and it's it's a it's really just so gratifying to see what they will become um and I think it's it's nice being an advocate for kids who um may not be able to speak up for themselves Mm -hmm. otherwise or for families who don't know the process especially if they're these kids are like first generation and some parents who don't speak English fluently or they just, the the whole admissions process is similar to a college admissions process. Yeah. So it's probably you, modeled the same, right? Yeah, exactly. So you go through the same tour, <laughs> the interview, the application, the testing. Um, and for a first time parent, that's, it's daunting. It's a full right, year yeah. that you're investing in just the application. Um, and that's one, the, the biggest disappointments I think when it comes to making the final decisions for who gets accepted and you know that kids are opening those letters and they're either going to be so excited that this is going to change their life Mm -hmm. or really disappointed um, that they're not getting that chance and so you know education is a gift that um, you know can't be taken for granted um, and everyone deserves a shot so but they better play three sports. You better play three sports. <laughs> you better be an artist. You better be a musician. And you also <clears throat> should be, like, starting a nonprofit. <laughs> At least have an app. <laughs> right. <clears throat> exactly. Be inventing the next Facebook or something. Right. Start a foundation. I don't know. Yeah, start your own school. Yeah, basically. <clears throat> that has to be, like, in the pipeline. And then then you, you're in, you know? And then you're into the better school. The better. Yeah, absolutely. We're in. <laughs> Well, do you, do you relate <clears throat> that to your adoption in any way, or do you see yourselves in these kids in some way? Um, that's a really great question. Um, I do, and I do, in a way, see myself in them that I was given an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I guess it's 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 all sort of relative, but yeah, I was given a, a wonderful opportunity. I was given a chance, and you know, I I have a really great family, and I'm I feel really lucky. I think I hope my family feels really lucky too. I mean, come on, right? Um, 
that I, yeah, exactly. I came into their lives, you know, but... You blessed their household. Yeah, exactly. And your you know, sister begged for you. With laughter and joy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's... I do sort of identify with these kids of be, sometimes being not the underdog, but the ones that, like, you know, that have some grit and determination mm-hmm. and just need someone who will advocate for them. It's a big part of it, I feel like, grit. The, uh, the ability to be... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Resilient? Resilient, yes. Absolutely. So... What do you think uh, builds resiliency? I, I think it's something deep down. It's an innate thing. It's internal. It's, it's something that is not learned. It's just, you know, either you have it or you don't. So it's like biological, you I think? I totally think it's biological. I mean, I think there's so many people who who have that quality where they're just like fighters, Um, and some people don't have it. And I think sometimes, unfortunately, a lot of kids like in this generation, they don't sometimes know what that grit is like. Can you build that in somebody, you think? I don't know. I don't know if it's upbringing or if it's like your family background or the culture that you're, that you're brought up in. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think a lot of that is like a, an internal sort of feeling that you have, um, to push on. I don't know. And also being an athlete. Yeah. I think being an athlete has so many life lessons that you learn from sports and um, winning and losing. I think a lot of kids don't, like, lose anymore. Yeah, well, nobody's a loser anymore. No, everyone gets a trophy. Participation medal. Everyone gets a trophy, which I feel like, especially with, like, figure skating, like, you looked on the board and you were like, oh, I'm in dead last. Like, I'm in ninth place. <laughs> it's no public one, information. No one is worse than me today, you know? And so I feel like... Somebody's got to be the Philadelphia I, Phillies. Right? Someone's right? got to be last. <laughs> but those are the things that I learned at a very young <clears throat> age that, you know, you can't always win. You can't always be the best. You mm-hmm. can't always be the fastest or the smartest. And, and that I think that's okay. Um, and I think a lot of our kids are are growing up thinking like they have to be all those things. Well, that's like the theme of every sports movie, right? Is that like you got to lose to like, I don't know, come back. You right. can't be a comeback without being a loser first at some point. Right. I mean, we've all seen Miracle, you know? Brings me to tears every time. <laughs> every time. Rocky. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think I, so I've run, I've run the Boston Marathon three times. Jesus, really? I have. And it, you know, it's... You're going to run it this year? It's Monday. You going to do it? Hell no. (laughs) I am retired from running. You're not going to go for your hundredth mile? Oh my gosh. Hell no. I like should have had a retirement party because (laughs) I'm never doing that again. Well, you did three more than I'm ever going to do. And you know, like <laughs> that's the thing about this city. That's the hardest one too, because you gotta like qualify. That's like oh, the highest qualify. speed. No, I didn't qualify. I I raised money. Did you like illegally run? <laughs> no, you just that jumped is on the course. Very, well, there are lots of bandits. There are lots of bandits who who do jump in. But I raised um, money for three different charities. Okay. Which is you know a lot of runners are charity runners. Yeah, I gotta do so that this year for the Brooklyn half. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So you know, I think. That alone, just being an athlete and not really being growing up being a runner, Mm -hmm. that those are the things that you dig deep down for. Right. And it's such an amazing day. I wish. Are you going to be here for the marathon? Uh, no, no, I'm not going to be here for the marathon. It's such a special day in Boston. I'm sure. I mean, it's like the number one marathon in the country, right? Yeah. 
It's it's like world famous. Yeah. So it's it's very nostalgic, and it's the energy and the buzz in the city is like no other. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like I'm, that in St. Patty's Day. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's another. And the one time the Red Sox won the World Series. Twice didn't they win twice? Uh, well, the one time the, that was the like, one time that was like broke this right yeah, yeah broke the curse curse yeah okay fine. <laughs> but we we would do, we do nobody a lot cares of about the other time yeah. <laughs> we are a city that likes to have lots of parades New York has a lot of parades too I think I think the reason why New York and Boston don't like each other is because they're so similar I know I know we just need to like just it's like a sibling rivalry yeah oh that's a that's a really good way of looking at it yeah. I think we're siblings. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. Honestly, I think that's what it is a lot of the time. There's a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. Big Irish populations. Yeah. A lot yeah. of pride. Oh yeah, lots of like different neighborhoods or boroughs. Oh yeah, big sports so, teams and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. A lot of competition between them. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I like it. <laughs> I like New York, but I so, could never live there. Well. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a tough city for it's, me to live what, in. What? Like, what would be what? what like, other than the sibling rivalry, what would you have against living New York, in New York? New York feels really, really big. <clears throat> it's pretty, I mean, it's not like, like, when I think of a big city, I mean, like, New York to me is, a, like, a, a real city, but, like, L.A. is, like, a sprawling city. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So it's, like, you have to drive everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, that, to me, is, like, a big in size mm-hmm. city. Boston, mm-hmm. yeah, Boston seems a little bit smaller. It's, it's man- it's, see, it feels more manageable. You can walk from one end of Boston to the other. Oh, yeah. Um, you can do that in New York. It's just uh, east to west. You don't <laughs> want to walk north to south. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But I think it, I love visiting New York. And then, you know, you have like a couple New York nights. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, I need to go home. Yeah. I need to get out of here <laughs> or else something bad's going to happen. Oh. Yeah. Well, you're welcome anytime in okay. New York. Okay, I, I will look forward to I'm going to take you up on that. Yeah, you should. <laughs> so, uh, how's your relationship with your parents and your sister now? Great. So, my parents live um, about 20 miles south of Boston. Uh-huh. Um, in the same town, or? The town next door to where okay. I lived. So, pretty and, much the same area. Oh, yeah. And my sister lives in the town next to them. Oh, yeah? What does she do? She well, She's married. She has two kids. Um, and she's a yoga instructor. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. She, she, did she get a lot of Lululemon discounted <laughs> pants when you were oh, working yeah. there? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I hooked her up. I bet. She, <laughs> she must have loved that. Yes. So I have a niece and a nephew. My niece is 16, and she's mm-hmm. a sophomore in high school. And I have a nephew who's 19, and he is a freshman at UNH. Okay. So everybody's still in the We're New England here. area. All here. Is yep. she also imposing the driving rule, the no flying rule on, on her kids? No, she's she's actually a lot more loose than I thought she would be. He was, <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, he was looking at a school, the University of the South and UNH. Where's the University of the South? That seems so broad. I know. The South is a big place. Was it in South Carolina? I forget. I think it was a school in South Carolina. Okay. Anyways, it was the, well, either that or UNH. Well, she must be looking at colleges soon, your niece. She's, well, she's a sophomore, so she will be soon, yeah. Yeah? What is she thinking? Does she want to go to Hawaii or Australia? No, I think she's more of a, she's a homebody, too. My oh, sister's yeah? a homebody, and I think she's similar. Um, I don't think she'd want to go too mm, far. I see. I don't think either of them would want to go too far. 
And so what's the deal with uh, you and the adoptee community in, in the Boston area? Are you part of BKA or any of those groups? No? I don't even... What is BKA? The Boston Korean Adoptee Group. No, I should be. Come on, really? They're a big group. I should... Okay, I'll, I'll <clears throat> There's join. probably members listening right now. I'm so. going to join... Can, can someone invite me to an event? How have you not heard about it? So you have no relationship with... Uh, the adoptee community in this area, then? Have you ever had a relationship with adoptee communities at large or in general? Okay. Is this something you've ever been interested in? So I go to a conference every December called the People of Color Conference, uh-huh. and I bring students from yeah. my school, um, and they break... They, the adults <clears throat> have a conference going on, and the kids have one concurrently. So the adults have affinity groups, and so when I first started going to the conference, they only had like the Asian affinity group. Okay. And so I would go and I realized I didn't have a lot to relate to a lot of the people in the group. It was like a boarding school all over. Right. It was like talking about tiger moms and like, you know, dating and, you know, and I was like, I I don't identify with these people. So they created like a transracially adopted affinity group, which was awesome. That is awesome. And so that's what I started going to, and that's how I learned. Does it still go on? Yeah. They should listen to the podcast. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, And that's how I heard about the Korean adoptee group on Facebook. Okay. What year did that, uh, was that, that you heard about this? 2015. <laughs> so this is very recent. Very recent. You're just yeah. getting into it. Yeah. Is this the first time you're kind of exploring adoptee issues and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Is this the first time you're exploring that part of your identity? Um. Well, back in 2014, I went to Korea <clears throat> for oh, the yeah? first time. What inspired that trip? Um. I was going for work. Oh, um, yeah? I... I'm the director of international student enrollment at my school. Okay. And so, obviously, the, the Chinese boom right. um, <laughs> is happening. And yes. so I was, I went, I traveled to China, um, Hong Kong, and Korea. And it was the first time I had been back to Korea since being adopted. Uh huh. Um, and so, when, before I went, I tried to reach out to, to Holt um, and didn't really get much back. And yeah. so when I was, when I got to Seoul, I had the concierge <clears throat> call Holt and tell them that I wanted to. Of the hotel? Yes. <laughs> I was like, can you call this number and tell them I want to come and visit? What was the objective of your visiting Holt? My objective was just to see the quote unquote orphanage uh-huh. and like, Holt, I wanted to like see the babies and like take some pictures and then leave. You only didn't want to see, like, your file or talk to a social worker or do any of that stuff? I didn't really know that that existed. Okay. So, once I went, um, they the woman who's the director of post, post-adoption services, right. you know, she said, okay, well, I have your file here. And I was like, my what? You know, <laughs> she, like, yeah. I've never heard of that. So, she takes out the file. <clears throat> so, your parents never introduced you to any of that kind of stuff? When I you don't really think they had that much okay um you know they had the little like mugshot picture <laughs> and um you know they they had a couple things but not as extensive as, as what was in this file sure and yeah so, yeah that's usually the case yeah and so I got there <clears> and <throat> I was like okay I I guess I want to know more and she said you know your biological mother brought you in a year after you were born um 
and she, you know, surrendered you here. Mm-hmm. Um, your biological parents had never been married, so they separated. Um, your biological mother immigrated to the States, which is what we last heard. Huh. Um, so she's li- so as far as we know, she's in the States somewhere. She's the, she could be in Boston. She could be, like, my neighbor. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and then they said my biological father never knew I had been adopted hmm. until 2011. Oh, so he and found he out heard, eventually? he found out through someone and went to Holt looking for information about me. Uh-huh. Um, and so then he wrote this, like, sad letter that okay. was in my file and translated into English. And they said they sent it to the agency in Boston, but mm-hmm. it never never got never to Never got me. to you? Yeah. So I'm reading, I'm by myself, I'm reading this, like, really sad letter from him that he had never married, never had kids, like just found out I had been adopted and blames himself and all this other stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this is not what I signed up for. Right, um, yeah, you were just there for work. I was just there to, like, just hold, take a I just picture to hold of some, some babies. babies. And there were no babies there. Like, they're all in foster homes, which I learned. Um, <laughs> so I read in my intake forms and, like, <clears throat> you know, just evaluations about being in foster care and that mm-hmm. the, my, I always thought my birthday was made up. Mm-hmm. But it was actually my real birthday. So was, okay. Which is kind of cool. Um, <clears throat> so then I have all these papers from my files. Why did you think your birthday was made up? That's what I was told. So Someone made that story up. Somebody told you? Was told it your that. sister? Probably. She's probably being mean or like my parents didn't I'm going to tell mom and dad that you're having a party. Your birthday's made up. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I used to always say like it was the day of my <clears throat> fake birth. Wow. So then I realized, then I was like, well, maybe I could be like, you know, six months older than I really am or That's what you want to say to yourself for your ID. For my ID, yeah. Yeah. Like, I could be 21, but I'm not quite (laughs) sure yet. Okay. Um, But yeah, I found out it was like my real birthday. So I have all these papers and I leave the agency and I'm like, what am I supposed to do now with all of this information? And I'm by myself in Seoul. So So what did you do? I got on the train, got back to my hotel, and like, or got off the train, and I was like, walked into the first bar <laughs> I could find. And I was like, all I know what to do right now is Shots. just like, have a drink, because I can't handle all this information by myself. Uh-huh. And my best friend who lives in Turkey <clears throat> was supposed to be traveling with me on that part of the trip and mm-hmm. meet me in Seoul. Um, but she was pregnant at the time, so she couldn't travel. So I'm on oh. the bar's Wi-Fi, FaceTiming her, Jeez. telling her, like, all this stuff that I just found out. Yeah. So she's crying. I'm like, why are you crying? Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I think I was just in shock. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so <clears throat> my first Asian friend, Sabrina, um, had told... She told me, she said, oh, if you're in Seoul, my friend Vanessa is... Also a Korean adoptee. Vanessa who? Easton. Don't know her, but that's okay. 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 <laughs> you you should get to know her because she's pretty cool. Um, so <laughs> okay. she, Sabrina said, reach out to Vanessa. She lives in Seoul now. You guys would totally get along. And She's, she's still a, out there? She's a Korean adoptee. Yes. Okay. I'm going to make her listen to this podcast. Oh, great. Just anyways. So She should be on too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she actually has her own podcast. Oh, perfect. <laughs> What's her podcast about? It's called Two Hello Girls. Who's the other girl? Some other girl. <laughs> she's another adoptee? She's just no, some she's Korean not girl? A, she's not even... I don't think she's an adoptee either. So it's just another girl. Yeah. 
Okay. Two Hello Girls. So, okay, so you're... So then I, long story short, I end up having dinner with <clears throat> Vanessa that night. Uh-huh. And she couldn't have been a better person for me to see because yeah. she had also been adopted from Holt, mm-hmm. had gone and looked at her file. So mm-hmm. she, like, knew everything that I had just gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was, like, my tour guide for the next three days. Okay. And so I just feel like I'm, she's just, like, my soul sister, you know? Like, I feel very connected to her because uh-huh. of that part, like, time, isolated time in my life. So have you had time to process all of this and kind of go through it in your head and yeah, so, deal with the emotions? So when I came home, I told my parents' story, which they were sort of, they were also blown away by it. Yeah, um, I bet. You know, they <clears throat> wanted to know if I was going to reach out to my biological father. Um, and I, you know, I thought about it. I even thought about if I was in Korea longer, would I have wanted to meet him Mm -hmm. um and you know i've the thing with holt is that they said um he had come at that time was 2014 so it had been three years earlier so they didn't know if it was an updated address or if he had moved and so they were going to check on it and so i've emailed them like two or three times since then and you haven't heard anything back back. Hmm. so i don't know i mean i would be willing to write a letter just so he knew I was okay and I was happy yeah. and safe and you know I, I had a really great life um, but I don't know if like meeting someone like I, I don't know have you ever thought about that? Uh, I mean sure I've thought about it and stuff like that my, my search did not go nearly as far as yours that's pretty incredible yeah um, that you had so much contact now that I'm thinking about it I'm like maybe I should write a letter <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know what I would say. I've had other guests and, and friends who have done that kind of thing um, and have found their birth parents. And, you know, the meetings can go quite as multiple different ways, mm-hmm. you know. But it sounds mm-hmm. like your father, at the very least, is open to meeting. Yeah. Uh, so you, you never know. I mean, that could be a good thing. could be right. a bad thing. But it, you know, I think the number one piece of advice I would give to you and other adoptees who are searching right now or considering doing a birth search would be, uh, consider all, all the different possibilities of what could happen mm-hmm. and be prepared. You're starting a relationship. It's not like, ah, oh, I found him and that's it. You know, right. it's like you, you are starting a brand new relationship and that relationship could be good, it could be bad or anything in between. Right. So uh, I would say just kind of prepare for a whole range of emotions that I I – I can't prepare you for. Right, uh, right. I don't know if anybody can prepare you for no, that. No, kind of and I and I think that it would be. I don't know. I, I go back and forth, and it's funny because people who I've told that story to, it re- for some reason it resonates with people, mm-hmm. and you know they think about <clears throat> it even you know months later, or years later since I've told them, and and people often ask me about that. Have you you know have you written a letter? Have mm-hmm. you reached out? And you know it it's. It's sort of touching that people think about that still. Right. Um, because I go through, you know, months without thinking about it. Well, yeah, because you're busy yeah, doing your thing, life. living your life. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I do feel blessed that it's it's not something <clears throat> that is pressing mm-hmm. that I'm constantly thinking about because, I yeah. think that it, you know, that would be a totally different story. I mean, um, it, it's, it's very easy to get consumed by that kind of stuff, I think. Yeah. And I'm I I'm I'm also glad that I'm not in a state where I'm yearning or searching for that to mm-hmm. feel 
complete or whole um, and that I'm pretty well adjusted right now. That yeah, I'm it not... sounds like you're secure with who you are. Absolutely. So, but it is, it's a, it is a, a neat story. It's, it's what makes it my story and no, and not someone else's. Um, and I think that's what's so cool about people is that they each have their own individual story and background and I mean even just like your name story mm-hmm. um, we were talking about that today at work and you know why you're there there's always a story as like what if you were named after someone or if like your mom just like really liked that name or you know um, well what'd you determine about your name so when I first got to the states my original Korean name was Lim Un Young and when I got here, my mom really wanted to name me Elizabeth. Hmm. And my sister was like, no, we need to name her Jennifer. <laughs> wow, she had this all planned oh, out. She, I'm sure she, like, yeah, she had that. She knew that a long time before I came. <laughs> and at the time, it was because it was the only other name other than hers that she could spell. <laughs> so they were like, Jennifer it is. <laughs> Wow. She really dictated the whole thing. Yeah, this thing. sounds like it's completely orchestrated by her sister. Oh, yeah. But she, she didn't realize that she was getting into. No, no, not at all. <laughs> but I did, I kept my middle name, Un Young. Um, okay. Which, at, when I was little, I did not like at all, because when you're young, you don't want it to be different uh-huh. in any way, shape, or form. And so I once got caught telling a friend that my middle name was Elizabeth. Oh, yeah? And mom was like, what'd you say? I was like, uh, nothing. <laughs> and she was like, that's not your middle name. You wow. can't go around telling people that. So you, like, latched on. Did you, like, sign your name, like, <laughs> like Jennifer Elizabeth and, like, all your papers and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> I I always did the, well, actually, you know, I always did J-E-Y-W. Because mm. I did, I don't know if I did, I just didn't like J-E-W, like Jew, like my initials being Jew. <laughs> I don't know. I was a weirdo, I guess. <laughs> You were, like, concerned about that? <laughs> yeah. Why? I have no idea. But <laughs> I always sign a J-E-Y-W, and I still oh, do to gosh. this day. All and right. a lot of my friends who do know me well enough and do know my no- middle name sometimes call me Un Young. Yeah? Yeah, which I, as an adult, I I like that because they know, like, a piece of my past, mm. you know, or they, like, I'm close enough with them that they 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 feel that they can call me that. Yeah. So... So you got some pride. I got I got some Korean pride in here. <laughs> Do you I, plan on going back to Korea at any time in I the would, future? I would love to. I really liked Seoul. Um, yeah. And I didn't go anywhere beyond Seoul because I was only there for a oh, few yeah. days. Um, was that where you were born and where you're from? Do you know? I mean, or that's roughly, what you told. Yeah, roughly, sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would love to see more of the country and just like I don't know, learn more of the culture and. Mm. I don't know, just feel like a little more connected to it. Um, but I love Southeast Asia. Like, I'm, I'm going to China at the end of May with 12 students. Oh, yeah? Yep. I do this annual trip every year where we travel to, to three different cities in China. Nice. Which is really cool. Um, but yeah, I would love to go back to Korea sometime soon. You should consider going to the uh, the ICA gathering this August. I know. I really wanted to. I... I'm going to Paris and Croatia in July. <laughs> this is rough. Rough uh, life here. I know. All right. And then after I had, like, you know, made this vacation plan, then I learned about 
The Gathering, yeah. Yeah, and I'm kind of bummed because isn't it only every three years? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, in Korea it's every three years. But, you know, they rotate usually somewhere in Europe and then America and then back to Korea. So you'll be able to do other things as well. Okay, okay. Well, and I learned about it through that movie Twinsters. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is awesome. It is awesome. I made my friend from Turkey watch it the other day. Oh, cool. she was here and she cried. Yeah. Where can people find you online if they want to get in touch with you? I'm very anonymous, guys. No Twitter? Just kidding. <laughs> no, I don't Twitter. I am, no Instagram? I am on Instagram. Okay. You can see a lot of pictures of my dog, Ella Grace, <laughs> on <nice>. Instagram. <laughs> um, I am on Facebook. Okay. I'm a little hidden on Facebook because... I don't want kids, like students, to sure, find yeah. me. Sure, yeah. I think there's a major concern with uh, when you're in education or yeah, something like that. Yeah, they, they're allowed to be, you're allowed to be Facebook <coughs> friends with kids once they've graduated. So I get a lot of wow. Facebook requests on graduation day. Do you friend a lot of them? Um, Do you keep some, in touch with all these kids? I keep in touch with a good amount. I actually just got a text message from one of my students who plays baseball at UMass Dartmouth. And oh, okay. That's pretty close. Um, playing... A doubleheader at UMass Boston this weekend, so oh. I'm going to go and catch two of his games. So. That'd be cool. Yeah. I, I mean, these kids feel like they're sort of my kids in a way. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I just want to know how they're doing and how they're succeeding sure. in school, so... Cool. But yeah, there's there's no need that they need to see all my stuff. <laughs> all your stuff. Yeah, not that there's any like scandalous stuff that I'm posting yeah, on yeah, Facebook, yeah. you know. I hope not. <laughs> all right, so you're on Facebook, little yes. hidden. Yep. On, Instagram. Wh- what's your Instagram handle? It's Jenny Un Young. Oh, okay. E U N E U N Y U N G. Okay. Yeah. And those are the only two things that you do, that you do really? Snapchat. You're on the Snapchat? Yeah. Oh, man. I don't really know how to use it. I, I don't, I, I don't, I've never downloaded it. It seems scary. <laughs> I, I see a lot of stories, a lot of people's <clears throat> snaps. I'm not like a big snapper, so. You just like stalk people? Yeah, just like watching other people's silly <laughs> snaps. I don't know. It's like a time suck. You know, I'm at work and I'm like, well, let me check out this Snapchat story. Sure. It's like um, all social media is it, time suck. It is. Yep. Um, but yeah, otherwise, no, I, I tried Twitter, <clears throat> but it was th- it's too much going on. It's too much? See, my impression of Snapchat is it's like a faster Twitter. Is that not the case? Oh, no. Not the case at all. You're navigating through the hive mind. Yeah, I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do it. It's too fast for me. What other social media? I don't know. You tell me. Email. Yeah, email. Can people I, uh, email you? People can email me, yes. Um, at Jen2Ns <laughs> underscore Welch, W-E-L-C-H, at Hotmail.com. And yes, I still use Hotmail, people. It still exists. <laughs> I can't believe that. Since I created my <laughs> Hotmail address in 1999. And it wasn't like... Cool Jenny Welch <laughs> underscore figure skating stuff thank, at Hotmail. Thank God I didn't because, you know, when you start, when you're writing your email on your resume and you're like, oh, I can't. <laughs> I had to go through that. Yeah. I, I am you almost considering. Oh, yeah. Because my original email address was with AOL <laughs> and it was Asian Persuasion J at AOL.com. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And my friend Shana that I was telling you about, hers was like skate SK8. Of course it was. Underscore 2XAXEL. <laughs> skate double axle. She could do a double axle. Oh, that's actually kind of cute. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, Old email addresses. Yeah. Can't put those on resumes. Yeah, yeah. It's embarrassing. I mean, Hotmail is kind of, it's kind of embarrassing that I still have Hotmail. All right. Well, thank you for allowing me to interview you and coming into your home and meeting beautiful Ella Grace here. Yeah, Ella Grace. She's my girl. <laughs> she Thank was a good girl this whole interview. She was. All right. Well, welcome to Boston. I hope you have had a good time. Perfect. All right. Thanks. Ciao. All right. And that is this week's episode of The Rambler with me, your host, Mike McDonald. And the first of a series coming up, coming from Boston, Boston area, the, uh, the old bean town. It be in town. That's an old 30 Rock joke for you guys who didn't know. I had a great Mother's Day. I hope you had a great Mother's Day as well. Honestly, say thank you to your moms, even if you don't like them. In fact, especially if you don't like them. All right? No, it's not that I don't like my mom. I love my mom. That's exactly why I want to say thank you. I hope to get up to Boston sometime soon. I miss Boston as a town. I, uh, I like Boston a lot. And I'll gladly hang out with BKA and any members up in Boston any time of the day. And any adoptees, not just Korean adoptees. Again, listen, if you would like to come on the show, give a voice to your story. Tell me your story. Let's have a conversation about it. I want to converse with you about your life. Look, uh, <laughs> send me an email at therambleradhd at gmail.com. You can also tweet me at therambleradhd on Twitter, or you can visit my Facebook at facebook.com slash ADHD. Music today is provided by The Bell and Needle Drop Records, a collective effort uh, on SoundCloud. You can visit them from the show notes and the Dropkick Murphys to kick off my, uh, my Boston escapades and all the interviews I'm doing up there, both in person and online. You know, if you're Boston, uh, get in touch with me. Get in touch with me. There are plenty of people up in Boston who know me now, and I appreciate all my Boston listeners and people who came from BKA in Boston down to the AKA 20th and the Korean American Story Gala to include Jacqueline Wells, who will be next week's guest on The Rambler. That's right. She will be right here live performing songs and doing cool stuff. If you don't know her, you should get to know her, as well as Jen Welch. Contact her. Uh, she's on Snapchat. I, don't, I still don't get Snapchat. I haven't downloaded it yet. I know. I'm sorry. Look, all my younger listeners, I'm old. I'm an old man. Okay, I'm sorry that I'm old. I can't help it. Regardless, everybody here should celebrate Mother's Day with their moms. If you haven't called your mom or had her visit or you visited her, give her a call. FaceTime her. Skype her. She will really appreciate it. I swear. With that, I would bid you adieu till next week. Adieu. Every time you leave